A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Bottoming, the LGBTQ mental health podcast about rock bottoming and beyond. Kindly sponsored by Joe Malone London. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BottomingPod or visit BottomingPodcast.com for more content relating to each episode. We've also added a support page to the website to direct you to the right place if you're struggling or need someone to talk to. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Hello, I'm Matthew. And I am Brendan, and our pronouns are he and him. So we've got a bog off deal today. Whoa. Buy one, get one, bloody free. Both are free, what does that mean? <laughs> Yum. <laughs> it's a two part anyway. It is a two part. You get two, two whole episodes this day. Mm-hmm. And not little skinny mini episodes either. You're getting juicy, juicy, full figured full, episodes. Yeah. If you are listening on day of release, um, it's 1st of December, which means it's World AIDS Day. So we wanted to get as many guests as we could do. So over the two episodes, we're going to be speaking to Callum, who is the author of a a new report from the National AIDS Trust um, called HIV and Mental Health. We're hearing from Jose, who is someone with lived experience of HIV and who walks us through his particular mental health journey. And then we're going to be speaking to Andre from Positive East, um, who is the counselling coordinator. To share a bit more about um, yeah, the process the of process, seeking support. What they do. Um, yeah, just a little bit more. So hopefully you enjoy both of these episodes and you find them informative and useful. Um, I really enjoyed speaking to all of them, actually. Mm. Um, it's a topic we touched upon during Pride Month for our mm-hmm. last Pride Month episode. We spoke to Ash Kotak from AIDS Memory UK, mm-hmm. and we spoke with Ron from the AIDS Memorial. Um, so this now kind of the flip side of it is looking at the mental health aspect. Mm-hmm. So there's, a, there's more of a, a focus on that for this episode mm-hmm. or for these, these episodes. Um, so we hope you enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Now, Matthew, I know you've just got back from holiday. I did. Which I'm very jealous about. 
How have you been then? <laughs> yeah, I've been good. I've had an entire week off, which has been lovely. Must be nice. <laughs> you wouldn't know it worked, David. Smacked you in the face. <laughs> um, no, I've had yeah, I've had a week off, um, and me and Sam went to Berlin for five days, which was really really nice. <laughs> I'm quite tired because it was a lot of walking, but it was really nice to get away. Mm. Um, and I feel like we maybe were quite lucky in terms of getting away just before winter COVID kicks off again. Um, yeah, it was nice, and I have a twitchy eye actually. <laughs> I don't know if I'm tired or stressed. You're tired, but, yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm fine. Hmm? I haven't been to council for two weeks because I've been. <sighs> That's busy, convincing. But <laughs> um, yeah, it's just been a, it's been a long year, hasn't it? And I can't believe that this episode has gone out. And first, first of December. December. So it just mm. How have you been? Um I have been up and down because I've been kicked out of my house. Which it's a lot of different Don't emotions. It <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of different emotions that have, that have come to the surface. Because I've realised, you know, it's very there's there's a whole theory about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. It's like we, you you need work, friendship, love, all of these different things. A safe place to live mm-hmm. is one of those things. I had a safe place to live. Now it's gone. Mm. So where do I go? Tell me, please. Where do I go? Um, no. So um, <laughs> I'm in the process of looking for somewhere new, mm-hmm. um, which is quite stressful especially when you haven't made the decision to leave yeah so just for clarity as well you haven't been kicked out because you've done anything wrong let's just make that thank clear. you yes thank you <laughs> wish i have asked the question what have i done wrong because if you think if you tell people you've been kicked out they're gonna assume you've been very naughty yeah no i'm a really good i'm a good tenant anyone listening um <laughs> i'm very self-contained i like to bake i'll have a gab when people are around but otherwise i keep myself to myself so mm-hmm. I mean, I've sold it for me. Don't yeah. know about for you, but um, yeah, that means I've been yeah just a bit all over the place. But mm. um, well, I mean, I'm wearing. I don't know if you can see on the on the camera uh, a badge called which says prioritize pleasure, which I have been doing. Um, but you gave it me because you want to see self esteem. I did. Well, I, to be fair, I'll just mention it now because there's also a lot of other things I'm going to talk about in the favorite thing of the week yeah sure um but yeah when see self-esteem's gig in heaven and fucking loved it because she put on one of the best shows i've seen in a lot of years it was mm-hmm. incredible um yeah and got you a little badge didn't i thank you so because much what should we all do prioritize pleasure in whatever form that takes for you for you <laughs> for me <laughs> As we mentioned, it is World AIDS Day on the 1st of December. Um, if you didn't know that, yeah, I don't know how you've missed it, to be yeah. honest. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, every 1st of December, um, since 1988, um, this has been the day that people have um, raised awareness. It is a time to mourn those that have um, been lost to the epidemic, um, but also a chance to celebrate as well the lives um, of those that are no longer with us. So one thing, kind of just a little, during the background research that I came across, is um, a sentence that the UN have used quite regularly around this. Um, 
And I think it plays into more than just HIV as well. I actually found this in, it was a UN um, article, kind of linking how we should learn from some of the things that we maybe experienced or saw during the HIV epidemic and how we could also uh, relate that to the COVID-19 uh, pandemic as well. Um, and the phrase they would use is, no one is safe unless we are all safe, which um, essentially just sums up why it's critical that we work on removing stigma um, around both, but in this, obviously in this context, we're talking HIV. So why the breakdown of stigma um discrimination is really, really important because that in itself will then allow us to increase education, awareness and understanding um, and obviously work towards a a world where HIV is not um, is not a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of countries are working towards um, zero HIV new cases by, I think, 2030. Um, and within the last couple of weeks, I know that there's been um, an announcement of a new drug that's been authorised in the UK. Mm-hmm. So now instead of a daily pill to treat HIV, it can now be um, administered, administered with uh, one injection every couple of months, which obviously is an enormous, um, another huge. enormous milestone. Yeah. So fingers crossed over the next few years, we kind of see um, the progression just continue and hopefully even faster. Yeah, lots more change. And um, as we mentioned at the beginning, we did do that episode um at the end of Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that episode, we talked about PrEP, um, how people use it and what's the need for it, et cetera, et cetera. So do refer to that if you require mm-hmm. any more information about it mm-hmm. um, because it's really useful. Because, mm. yeah, treatment, treatment as prevention, um, U equals U, um, all of these different things, it all, it all plays a part in, in everything we've just mentioned. So, yeah, yeah give that episode a listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get into it. So our first guest is Callum from the National Age Trust, and he was the author of HIV and Mental Health, Improving Generic NHS Talking Therapy Services for People Living with HIV in England. So he basically talks to us about the the key findings from that, the need for the research in the first place, and the potential implications of the research. Mm-hmm. So here's Callum. Hi, I'm Callum. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. Um, and I'm a policy and campaigns officer at National AIDS Trust, uh, which is the UK's HIV rights charity. Um, and I work across a number of policy areas, one of which is mental health as it relates to HIV. So would you be able to tell us what led to the creation of this new piece of research, HIV and mental health? Yeah, sure. So um, we know that people living with HIV are disproportionately affected by poor mental health. Uh, people living with HIV are... Uh, twice as likely to experience feelings of depression or anxiety than the general population, uh, and more than one in three report being diagnosed with a mental health condition at some time. Mm. Uh, And this is for a number of reasons. Um, Despite major progress in in treating and preventing HIV uh, in a sort of medical sense, HIV remains um, highly stigmatised, and it also affects populations that are already marginalised, such as uh, LGBT communities and people of colour. Um, essentially, we, we, we have a good understanding of, of the relationship between HIV and mental health, but the support that's available to people living with HIV, um, the psychological support that's available is inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So traditionally, people living with HIV have been able to access support um, via their HIV clinic. 
uh, or through uh, voluntary sector HIV support services. Mm-hmm. But these are not um, sort of universally provided across across the country. Um, and uh, cuts to public health funding have seen the decommissioning of many voluntary sector services in, in recent years, uh, which is, means that while some people living with HIV have access to specialist mental health support, uh, others rely on generic services uh, such as IAPT, which is a, a program, an NHS program, um, it stands for Improving Access to Psychological Therapies. Um, and these services provide uh, short courses of talking therapy to people with common mental health needs such as depression and anxiety. Mm. But we um, and others in the sector are, were concerned that these services are not trained to um, or not trained in HIV specifically or the specific mental health needs of people living with HIV. So our recent project set out to investigate the suitability of IAP services for this community or this population mm-hmm. um, and to develop recommendations to improve IAP services for people living with HIV. So you've mentioned already a kind of a couple of um, stats around mental health of people living with HIV, but was there anything um, kind of maybe that hadn't been spotted before um, they came out of the report? Any kind of key findings? Yeah, so so this, the stats that I mentioned before are sort of um, were things that we we already knew. They were mm-hmm. sort of part of the rationale for for us doing this this research. Um, whereas this piece of work specifically was then looking at at IAPT, um, mm-hmm. and it found that while IAPT can work for some people living with HIV, issues such as a a lack of HIV literacy uh, and poor integration with with wider HIV care are really hampering its effectiveness for many. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of sort of, I guess, the, some of the key findings of, of the report, we found that the most common problems experienced um, or the most common problems that people sought help um, for through IAPT were depression, general anxiety and stress. Uh, but a significant proportion also reported uh, panic disorder um, and PTSD, among, amongst other things. Mm-hmm. And four in five people reported that these were somewhat or directly related to living with HIV. Um, so some of the ways that that they might that that might be related were uh, stigma, whether that's kind of uh, real experiences of of uh, being treated differently, or or kind of fears of being treated differently, or fears of talking to other people about um, their HIV status, mm-hmm. uh, the long term challenges of living with HIV, uh, difficulties maintaining sexual relationships, issues with medication, um, and so on. And we found that 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 a lack of uh, of HIV awareness on the part of services is currently a real barrier to delivering appropriate support. So mm. while uh, I mentioned that four-fifths of respondents said that their mental health problems were were related to living with HIV, mm-hmm. less than less than half described their therapist's understanding of HIV um, as good. Mm-hmm. Um, and over a third did not feel that their therapist understood the ways in which HIV affects mental health. Mm. Um, Perhaps most disappointingly, a quarter of people reported that they they that they felt that their HIV status negatively affected the way that they were treated mm. uh, within IAPT. And uh, unsurprisingly, this this led to um, sort of unsatisfactory outcomes um, and a, a low sort of satisfaction with services. Mm-hmm. So we found that two in five respondents reported that their mental health did not change as a result of the therapy, um, while one in 10 reported that that their mental health actually became worse. 
and over three quarters of respondents reported that their experience uh, could have been improved, while less than half said that they would be happy to use the mm. same service again. Um, I guess it's important to note that that uh, for some people, these services were working. We did have people mm-hmm. who who gave positive feedback, mm-hmm. but clearly there was a a lot of room for improvement um, yeah. in order for IAPT to be able to, or for commissioners to be able to to say that IAPT is a suitable service for people living with HIV and that it can be relied upon mm-hmm. uh, in the absence of more specialist services. It's interesting that stigma is like such a huge part of this piece of research and also mm. collectively as LGBT people I think there's a lot of stigma anyway but the around HIV and AIDS it's incredibly heightened and although it's like a huge task to kind of approach you know the cultural stigma that is at play I guess having the ability and the tools to adapt to that um, stigma and kind of look at it internally it's incredibly necessary so this research is incredible because it's kind of like looking at the 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 point of help, I guess, to help people um, become more adaptable to the world. Yeah, and I think I think that that's often something um, that is particularly um, surprising or, or even shocking to people when uh, when we talk about HIV and HIV stigma is mm. that the health service is not immune to stigma. Yeah, because um, I think that there's often an assumption that you know while we all know that. The levels of uh, understanding and attitudes towards HIV um, could certainly be improved in the general population. Mm-hmm. There's, I think, often an assumption that, well, you know, at least healthcare workers um, will will be well informed, um, and this won't be an issue within within the health system. Um, and I'm certainly not, you know, intending to bash the health system. It's certainly um, much. Uh, higher levels of HIV understanding, I'm sure, than in the general population. Um, but we do know that people still uh, have ex- experience or, or sort of fear experiencing different treatment um, when they're accessing mm-hmm. um, services, be they sort of from a GP or, or from an IAP service. Um, I think that in the in this report, we found that um, around a quarter of people, yeah, as I said before, felt that they had been treated differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know, simply not really acceptable. And I think one thing to, I guess, say from our point of view as an LGBT mental health podcast, um, and it's something we kind of see repeated throughout kind of sexual health messaging as well. Like HIV doesn't discriminate in it. You know, for mm. years it, it was viewed as a gay men's disease and obviously mm. that is um, completely untrue, um, which kind of leads to the next question of accessibility. You mentioned kind of, um, you know, people may go to specialist services, which... Did did you how did that come across in the research? Did you see that as maybe being more of a kind of like um, larger cities had better access to specialized services, which then led say people living in maybe smaller communities having to go to through the NHS rather than something that may be more specialized, or was that not something that was found? Or was that just a, a bit of a mixed bag? Um, I think I mean it's certainly a postcode lottery. Mm-hmm. Um, I d- I don't know if um, if our our research. The find the data that that we collected, um, as it didn't record um, geographical location of respondents, mm-hmm. we're unable to sort of say um, or to map out where exactly services are available mm. and where they aren't. Um, but certainly from the research that we did um, in terms of the interviews we conducted with people living with H- 
with people living with HIV, but also uh, with sort of mental health professionals, is mm. that there is it is kind of commonly understood that that services uh, are more readily available, uh, or HIV specialist services are more re- readily available in urban areas. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within that, it's not kind of, I don't think it directly maps on yeah. um, necessarily. Um, I think that it's often just an issue of, of funding um, and that some areas that might traditionally have had access to HIV specialist support um, have seen funding kind of disappear as a result of, sort of national cuts to, to public mm. health budgets. Mm. Um, and lots of people, particularly who relied on support from voluntary services, voluntary sector services, um, those services have often been uh, or many many of those services have been decommissioned in recent years mm. so if you're not lucky if you lived somewhere where you previously accessed support in that way and you're not lucky to, you um you aren't lucky enough to have access to mental health professionals within your HIV clinic, um, which for many people may be based quite far away from where they actually live. Not everyone chooses to um, access um, their HIV care mm-hmm. in a nearby hospital. or They may not have the option of doing so, depending on where they live. Um, so for those people, um, reliance on, on generic services um, is something that that, that is... A reality and therefore generic mm. services need to be equipped to support people with a range of needs including those living with HIV. And I guess that leads on to our uh, final question in terms of, of money. It would be one of the main things that services need but what other, what else yeah. is it that um, we need to see? So yeah we developed sort of a, a range of, um, of recommendations that um, I guess can sort of be grouped into a, f- a few key areas. Um, the first one is around sort of HIV awareness um, or uh, and HIV training. Mm-hmm. So we recommend that basic training on HIV and HIV stigma is added to the national IAPT curriculum. Mm. Uh, and this will help to tackle stigma within services and to ensure that wherever people living uh, with the HIV access IAPT, they can feel comfortable in doing so. Um, and we also recommend that to better equip services to meet HIV specific mental health needs, HIV pathways should be uh, developed within the IAPT system. So just to sort of um, provide a bit of context, um, within, within the IAPT programme, um, there are some services that are described as IAPT for long-term condition services or integrated IAPT services. And these have been um, developed basically in recognition a- across the health system of the benefits of receiving integrated care. So not having to sort of bounce around the system and mm-hmm. go to somewhere for your physical health and then somewhere else for your mental health and then somewhere for your HIV care. So it's about sort of providing more wraparound care. But those um, services so far haven't kind of considered uh, HIV specifically, either in the training that those um, members of staff in those services um, receive, um, which do, for example, provide specific training on on certain long term conditions, but not currently HIV. Uh, And also uh, in terms of the, the locations of those services. So sometimes those services might be embedded within physical healthcare pathways. So you might have um, uh, an IAPT service or an IAPT worker who sits within 
uh, a diabetes clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we recommend that, that that sort of model is looked at in relation to HIV. And mm. um, so you have sort of HIV pathways within the IAPT, uh, the integrated IAPT program mm-hmm. and relevant training that is added to the sort of that the curriculum for those uh, integrated services. We also recommend uh, that services, the IAP services are better connected to the wider physical and mental health care system um, to ensure that people living with HIV do not fall through through cracks, basically, mm-hmm. in the system. Um, so what that sort of means is that at the moment we heard from some people that um, they might have accessed IAPT um, and it might not have been, uh, it might have been identified that that service wasn't really equipped to meet their needs. They might have had um, issues alongside mental health, for example, around uh, drug and alcohol, um, but that there were not kind of clear pathways in place to ensure that someone was referred um, or sort of guided from one type of service that wasn't suitable to them into the right service for them. So then people kind of just fall through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to have IAP services need to have uh, clear pathways in place with other services, um, including HIV specialist services, um, to ensure that where people's needs are identified as as not being IAPT appropriate, they aren't just kind of left then to fend for themselves Mm. um, and instead are supported into the the right um, services for them. We also, and and I think one of your previous questions touched upon this, um, need to ensure that IAP services can more effectively meet the needs of of the the specific communities affected uh, by HIV. So Mm. so, uh, concerns, current concerns about a lack of cultural competency um, and a lack of representation uh, amongst kind of IAP staff need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of... um, one of the the kind of key themes that came up in a lot of the interviews that we did was that uh, there was a, a frustration um, on the part of people living with HIV at having to um, a explain to their therapist what it means to live with HIV, mm-hmm. where therapists don't ha- didn't have a good understanding. So stigma is not necessarily um, often therapists might not have kind of actively stigmatizing attitudes towards HIV or to or ask inappropriate things but just by by not having an understanding of HIV um, time that could be spent focusing mm-hmm. on the nitty-gritty of what people's issues are are instead have to be spent yeah. on explaining to people or educating the therapist as to what HIV is and what it means to live with HIV mm-hmm. and then uh, on top of that people then have to feel that they have are having to explain what it means to to be gay or to be trans or yeah. to be black in the UK today. So we have this kind of combined effect where people um, are having to to explain to their therapists um, a kind of range of, of issues relating to their identity mm-hmm. before they can really receive help. Um, so there needs to be much better training in place to ensure that the, the sort of intersectionality of, of mental health and HIV uh, is better understood by, by the services that are providing support. Um, so I think those are our kind of key recommendations. Um, but I, should, I, I think it's important to stress that, that people living with HIV in England are a really diverse community with a wide range of needs. Mm-hmm. And uh, IAPT cannot be expected to meet all of those needs. And this report certainly does not set out to say that IAPT is a is a panacea, or that, that it's kind of a, a fix all solution to to a problem. Um, 
rather it must be as effective as possible mm-hmm. in meeting the needs of those people who meet its particular criteria for support. So IAP should be part of a of a wider sort of mixed model of mental health provision, which includes HIV specialist services, which includes voluntary sector HIV support services. Um, but IAP needs to ensure that its role within that system, uh, it can perform uh, as well as possible. Mm. And so what happens, I guess, what's the next stage in terms of how this could actually be put into action? Is it just now up to policymakers uh, and what they do with the research? Uh, it's a good question. Um, essentially, I think that our recommendations are um, sort of divided into specific audiences. Um, so we sort of make clear as, you know, who is responsible for making each of the changes that that we are asking for. So uh, the next steps um, for us is about engaging with those policymakers. And we're in the process of um, arranging conversations with, with IAPT um, itself and others um, to talk, to discuss and to work out how those recommendations uh, can be implemented. Um, and then it, I guess it depends on on not losing momentum or not letting, not kind of dropping the ball while attention is being focused on this as an issue. And obviously, as you mentioned at the very start, World AIDS Day is coming up. So there's increased discussion of HIV um, sort of amongst policymakers and amongst um, society, really. Um, so, yeah, we'll be working hard to, to continue advocating for these recommendations to be implemented. So if you would like to find out a bit more about the research Callum has just discussed, you can go to nat.org.uk um, for researchers on there, as well as tons of other information and resources um, about the work that they do. So mm-hmm. thanks for chatting to us, Callum. Thank you. So next, we um, spoke to Jose. So National Aid Trust put us in touch with Jose. Um Obviously, the focus of the report was around um, living with HIV and mental health and access to mental health services mm-hmm. um, and what this experience was like. So it was a, such a fantastic chat, actually. we um, I think both of us came away from it, just um, especially given that it is a mental health podcast. It was mm. just really, really interesting to hear some of the things that Jose had to share with us. Mm-hmm. So again, thanks, Jose, for, for, for chatting with us and, and being so open. So here is Jose. I'm Jose Mejia, and I use the pronouns he and him. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm here to talk a little bit about, about my my sort of own personal experiences of of, of living with HIV uh, and, and and the impact that that has had on my mental health. Uh, and yeah, I've I've sort of worked with a lot of other people with HIV in the past, but but today I'm gonna just basically talk about my own experience. Mm-hmm. So. Can you share a little bit more with us, I guess, about how you're doing generally, um, mental health-wise, just to kind of kickstart it off a little bit? Um, and this episode is being released on World AIDS Day. So maybe tell us what World AIDS Day means to you. Interesting. So so first on, on, on how am I? I yeah, I, well, first, happy to be here. So yeah, that, that's the first thing. Uh, and then in terms of, of in general, it's... Yeah, I think I'm I'm doing well. I I feel better than at many other times in my life. So so it just yeah feel feels really 
nice and stable at, at the minute and I know it might not be like that for, for, for a while and yeah I'm sort of I'm now used to this sort of up and down on, mm -hmm. on my on my own sort of mental health and, and yeah but in general I'm good, I'm healthy, I'm I'm undetectable, I, I feel stable, I, I feel more resilient than I used to when I was younger. I yeah, I'm quite amazed of, of how far I've come like I'm surprised with myself I guess and uh, yeah and I'm and I'm and I'm constantly sort of attentive to 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 myself to the signs within myself if things are going better or worse or mm. uh, and I'm constantly searching for 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 new things to do or 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 new things to to improve my well-being uh, so yeah constantly on the search and, and and constantly sort of riding the mm -hmm. roller coaster i guess mm -hmm. yeah and in terms of world aids day that, that, that that's a really interesting one for me because i guess I've, I've never been sort of a fan of these sort of special dates or things like that one mm -hmm. because for me it's world aids day kind of every day throughout the year uh, but two because I have a really bad memory, so I can never remember which date is which. And now it's like, yeah, there's dates for everything, and mm -hmm. yeah. So, so that's one thing. But, but in general, I I, I really use this opportunity, or, or every first of, of December, I use the opportunity to to it, it becomes like a really reflective day for for myself, uh, which sometimes can be very light and nice and positive. Mm -hmm. Some other times can be more like, oof, really dense and hairy, and and so. So yeah, it, it it's been really a sort of long journey. But yeah, I use it I use it as an opportunity to, to to reflect on myself on what's happening in the world on on on, on HIV in general, right? And just my own experience. Uh, it's an opportunity for me to sort of remember all the things that has that have happened w with with HIV in general, with people who have who are not with us anymore. Uh, all the things that we're still not doing or not achieving and that we still need to do yeah it's also an opportunity to to celebrate i guess mm -hmm. it, it's a really difficult world because we've lost so many people and we still do and so it doesn't feel like a celebration but i but i think i use the opportunity as well to to as i can to celebrate and i guess to celebrate that i'm still around and mm -hmm. and, and and that i'm alive and that i have access to life-saving medication and yeah and, and and an opportunity as well to to be very thoughtful because, well, well, particularly thinking of people who might be struggling through World AIDS Day, because mm -hmm. I guess I remember how difficult it was for me every 1st of December. I, I, I think, I yeah, I remember I got diagnosed probably at, 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 in early November many years ago. That was like 2008, so I was quite young. It was, mm -hmm. it was just before World AIDS Day and then I had World AIDS Day, and then that happened every year, and and for for a couple of years it was just really difficult. The mm. very World AIDS Day, I I just didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to hear anything. I didn't want to put the TV on because there was all these things about HIV and AIDS, and I was like, I just can't. I just yeah. couldn't handle it. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm also thoughtful that, that that it can be difficult for some people, mm -hmm. but yeah. So I think it, it's it's a mix of things, I guess, and and it has changed for me. It used to be an an awful day. I used to hate it. Mm -hmm. Now I'm much more light and and reflective about it. I guess. Mm. I mean, thinking about like the report that the National AIDS Trust produced. Um, obviously, we spoke to Callum about the findings of that. One of the main things with 
in that is the the feeling of stigma around HIV and AIDS, and it's obviously very apparent. Um, what role does that play in your day to day? I I always talked about HIV like this journey, partly because I I've gone a long way, but I know I'm still not. Yeah, I I I know I'm gonna go somewhere else. Mm. Uh, and 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 I always talked about this idea of like a roller coaster because that's how it feels, you know. It's like some days, yeah, the first few years were awful. Then for a couple of years it was great, and now it's like a more of a day-to-day thing. I have mm-hmm. some days that are great, I have some days that are not, and that relates to to what you're asking, and it relates a lot to things like stigma and discrimination, and 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 to things happening in the media and the news and in other parts of the world. So so I think. Uh, just to go sort of in in parts, I think with 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 stigma and discrimination. I mean, I've I've been lucky, and and when I say I've been lucky, is yeah, I've I've had a support network around me. Yeah, and it's been on stages. So when 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 I was first diagnosed, there was I was accessing therapy actually, and and that he was the person who helped me navigate the whole thing, helped me navigate mm-hmm. the, the the health system, how to find what I needed, the support that I needed, the medications that I needed, etc. Because I was just so lost and confused. Then th- that extended to sort of my my family, so my my dad, my mom, my sister, and and that came with very difficult conversations and mm-hmm. and, and and ones in which I felt judged and stigmatized and and yeah and, and sort of not understood or or, or whatever T- thankfully that changed and they've stayed with me and they've supported me throughout the whole process then i had a group of friends who were there when i was at my darkest and they were the ones saying like come on come with us go here meet us here let's do this this will be good for you let's mm-hmm. just get out of your house blah blah, blah. And, I'm, and i'm really thankful for that uh, yeah, so so I have so I've had that support system, but with that have come like the people you don't know, and still get to have a saying on your life. So mm-hmm. whether that is through grinder or dating apps mm-hmm. or, or or to your face guys you're dating or or people you meet, uh, or or your sort of extended family members and yeah, so so there's a lot of that. There's there's been a lot of grinder things i'm 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 sure yeah i i mean i'm sure we yeah there's a lot out there about how how difficult Mm. navigating grinder can be and and particularly uh for for someone living with hiv Mm -hmm. and and yeah and and i guess i have all the things that make it even harder i'm brown and and i'm a migrant and so so there's all these things that sort of intersect in in my experience of of things like grinder but by hiv stigma has has been awful uh, and and i'm saying this and yeah well i'm not on grinder now because because i'm in a relationship but but until very recently you know like mm. 2020 and i get people telling me yeah, what, sh- what I should have done and what I shouldn't have done and how to behave. And it's like, wait a minute, this mm-hmm. just isn't right. Mm. Thankfully, some of that have come with people doing their own process. And I, I think I try not to take it very personally because otherwise I wouldn't be here. I would just be devastated and crying and I wouldn't get out of bed. So I, I just, yeah, at some point I understood that a lot of this wasn't my issue. It yeah. was them. So yeah, yeah. so I removed myself from the whole situation. And But it is awful and it still has have, has an impact on on my day to day uh and the yeah the other scenarios have been navigating well the, the other thing i was talking about so is the news and the media and what happens in other parts of the world i think i i still struggle to 
to reflect on on my privilege as someone living with HIV, so the fact that I have access to medication, the fact that I live in the UK and I have access to a great sort of health system and a great mm. clinical and, and social care, so so I'm very lucky, but, but that doesn't mean I still know that that's not the case for everyone and that still makes me really upset, you know, mm. that's one of the things that, that, that still affects my my day-to-day and my well-being a lot, just knowing that people in other parts of the world and, and have no access to medication and are mm. still dying or that people here with the amazing care that we have are still not able to engage for, for a number of of different reasons and lastly there's something out day today around sort of navigating systems for for the lack of a better word but uh, the healthcare system and the academic system and a lot of things and 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 every time i have to do something like that i i have to face this thing about like disclosing my hiv status and putting it in forms and in papers and mm. how that makes me feel and and yeah and i used to struggle a little with that and now it's easier and now I'm, i i live very openly with hiv so now it's very hard for all these things to 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 affect me but it's still a constant reminder a day-to-day reminder of of what is happening or what isn't happening in my life and and how i relate to to the hiv movement more broadly i guess mm. mm-hmm. And going to the the core of the research, and you touched on your experiences with your therapist initially and how he was quite supportive. Would you be able to talk us through that experience with the mental health services um, and just share as much or as little as you like with that? Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I think for it's it's been quite an interesting one for me because. So I only moved to the UK in 2015. So part of my experience was based back home in Colombia. Uh, and part of my experience uh, was or has been based here in the UK. But but that just shows you how long of a journey it's been, you know. Mm. I've been accessing mental health services for, for over 10 years, probably. So I was initially diagnosed in 2008. Then I was seeing a therapist for, for a number of other reasons. Uh, and... And then when the diagnosis happened, I, I got just to, a, to such a low point. I, I was just in such a dark space and, and yeah, I just I, I just wanted to die and I was just not ready to, to, to yeah, I, I wasn't ready for all of this. Uh, and I guess he, he was a, a, a psychiatrist and so he was very aware and very in touch. He helped me through the whole process of navigating the system, finding what I need. But then he also sort of suggested that I went in, into taking antidepressants, mm-hmm. uh, which I tried. I tried a couple of them. I hated them. I just couldn't. I couldn't function. I couldn't work. And, and I'm saying this very cautiously because I know they work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So I don't want anyone to think that, that they don't work. They do work for a lot of people. They just didn't feel right for me and, mm-hmm. and what I was going through. So I tried them. They didn't really work. So we sort of slowly stopped. We tried different dosing, etc., etc. But But yeah, then through my clinical care and the diagnosis, what was available at that time back but then in Colombia was, yeah, basically like an occupational therapist that you were able to see. I was just not ready to engage. So I was like, no, I don't want anything else to do with this mm-hmm. clinic. Like I just need my meds and that's it. Thank God, like the two doctors were 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 gay men or the two doctors I saw at first were gay men. So that was really helpful as well because there was mm-hmm. that sort of relatability and me not feeling judged, uh, etc. And then when... When I moved to the UK, uh, I sort of, yeah, just didn't know what was available, didn't know what I was entitled to as, as someone who isn't born here. Uh, 
So, so I started looking into it. I got my clinical care that was all sorted very easily with support from, from my university, etc. Then I started realizing that, 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 yeah, there were things in my life again that didn't feel right, that, that I was in a better place with my HIV, but that a lot of things in my life weren't where I wanted to be and that I needed someone that I could talk about these things. Uh, and, and I started looking. I reiterated a lot about looking and looking because that's how that's what it feels like. You know, it feels that you need to be like really driven and and really determined to find what you need. Mm -hmm. First, to understand that you need it, which is already very difficult, and then to take the steps to access it, which is another story, and mm -hmm. it's another story that is also very difficult. So I so I thankfully I've been very pushy and, and determined so so I was like okay no I need to talk to someone this can't just be me mm. just pretending that nothing's happening so I started looking started looking I was living in Lambeth back then and so I managed to find uh, a service that was culturally competent let's mm. say so a service that yeah it, it was a counseling service in Lambeth who had therapists in different languages uh, which was great because I managed to access therapy in Spanish so it made it way easier for me mm. to express myself to talk to someone uh, etc yeah and then that stopped because of course it's short term uh, you're meant to see someone for a number of sessions where you are better or not that's mm. fine that's what we have uh, so so i saw someone for for a number of sessions it was very helpful it came to a period of my time in which i was going through sort of a breakup and a lot of drama as well so that was very helpful and then again, at some other point, I thought something doesn't feel quite right, and 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 I and I need to talk to someone again, and I need more support again, and 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 that comes with its with its own like that comes with its own impact, you know? It's like oh god, I just got this, mm. and it worked, and now I'm feeling like this again. So then. I, blame sort of the shame and the blame and the guilt for like why am i not okay why is not all of this sort of making me just feel great and perfect and and of course i know that's not how it works and i know that's ups and downs and i've come to sort of slowly accept that so so yeah when 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 again i felt that i needed something i started looking there were less and less options available i've mm -hmm. already tapped in the one that was most prominent or visible so then i was like oh shit there's probably oh sorry that there's nice. probably not gonna be anything that <laughs> it's not gonna be anything that i can't access anymore and that was really saddening and frustrating and then finally i find that through the hiv clinic i could access some something that was again cbt uh, and, and and i think at, at different points i felt like or, or before accessing all these services, I felt like, is this a good idea? Do I really, it's, it's an IAP service really going to help me? It's a CVT kind of therapy going to help me? But I think I've been very open to try them. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. I, I am just going to give it a go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But, but maybe something will happen and maybe it will work. Because you also hear that from a lot of people. It's like, no, I don't want CBT. CBT is not good for me, which 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 it's great that they know. For mm -hmm. me, it's been more of like, I don't know. I need to try. Yeah. So that's what I've done. With the HIV clinic, I think the challenging bit was that there was this idea of, oh, is it HIV related? It needs, so, so the reason why you're going to access the therapy, it needs to be HIV related. And for me, it was like, wait a minute. What, what does that even mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like... So somehow everything in my life happens to be HIV related, you know. Uh, so 
yes, I'm, I, I'm living well with HIV and I live openly with HIV, but that doesn't mean that it hasn't had an impact on my mm -hmm. life and how I live the rest of my life and how I make decisions and things like that. So, so it was just very shocking to, to, to see that, like, yeah, somehow it was limited and I needed to have a reason related to HIV when in my life, well, or at least in my understanding, everything seems to be related to HIV. Mm -hmm. And because, again, that's not... For a lot, a lot of people, if 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 a lot of people are faced with that question, they might say, "Oh no, no, my HIV is fine," and then don't get what they need. Mm. Uh, so, so I think you, it, it's important that the system or that mental health services give people the opportunity to explore those links. That's precisely mm. the reason why some of us need to go to therapy because we need to understand how our HIV relates to the way we lived our mm -hmm. relationships or how our HIV relates to our isolation and so all these things but but that's what I mean that it feels to me like a like a very cruel system because mm -hmm. you need to be very thorough and very clear and very determined to get what you need and if you're having a lot of mental health problems that's a lot of the things that you're not or that's how you're not feeling at least so it's really hard to to navigate and to find and to access but but i think i've sort of somehow been lucky really and and have had what i need thank god because of other decisions in my life it hasn't escalated to me needing any other form of, of mental mm -hmm. health care it's only been sort of primary care and it's all, all always been contained as it yeah mm -hmm. in, in that part of, of of the health system and so what's led you to want to talk publicly about your experience? I mean, I, it's it's interesting. I think I initially didn't know I wanted to talk publicly about my experience or that I was willing to talk publicly about my experience. When I was first diagnosed in 2008, I remember telling one of those first doctors, like, I, I wish I could do something with this. I wish I could use my skills mm -hmm. with this. But I, was a, but I was a mess. I just couldn't look up. I just couldn't get out of bed I just so so one of the things he said then was just park that thought you know hold that thought stick to it mm. it might happen maybe it's just not the right time but stick to that and I was like yeah great I completely forgot about that I lived my life uh, yeah I, I party I loved I did I didn't etc and then yeah when when I moved here uh, back in 2015 I was sort of studying and working at the same time but i but i still felt that i had some free time and that i wasn't using that free time appropriately i started engaging in th in things well, well to be more specific like yeah engaging in, in sex and in chem sex and, mm -hmm. and and thinking like at some point like oh this, this can be too much and and i need to sort of remove myself a little bit and the easiest way to do that is to keep myself busy not, not that not that keeping yourself busy that that could also have an impact on your on your emotional health yeah. but <laughs> but 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 i thought okay i need to get busy to move away from this mm. uh, and and from a conversation with a cousin he said like oh have you ever thought of volunteering and i was like mm, okay yeah maybe and i started looking into it and i just thought like okay we, what, which are the things i care and i and i made a list and there was a lot of things and i tried like uh, animal rights and <laughs> environmental stuff and like a lot of things nothing really happened nothing really came true and nothing really made me be the determined person i was and then hiv partly being on grinder i got a, i saw a message when, when grinder was more accessible for 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 charities i guess and i saw a message and i thought oh this is 
interesting. This seems to be like for me, they're looking for someone who speaks mm. Spanish, who wants to talk and learn about HIV. This seems like a good fit. So yeah, I've just got in touch with 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 an HIV charity. Uh, back in 2016, I started volunteering with them and did that for a year. Initially, it felt like, yeah, I, I, as I was saying, it, it didn't feel like I needed to talk about myself. I just went. I, I knew I needed to learn more about HIV. Mm -hmm. I knew that, that was going to be important. I didn't know much. I have sort of, through the first eight years of my diagnosis, blocked myself around it. I just knew I needed to take my medication, be okay with it, but I just didn't wanted to know anything else i mm. didn't yeah I, i just blocked myself so when i came here it was like okay I, i do really need to learn more and to understand this better because that will give me tools and that will give me better ways to handle the the whole situation uh, and, and i had that feeling of i want to give back as well mm. i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for some people and i want to give back so so then yeah i volunteered with the charity for a year initially it felt like Yeah, I, I talked about my HIV, but it was very discreetly and very quietly in a room with with just a number of other people living with HIV. So I feel very safe. I mm. felt very like I still was protected and still no one needed to know, but I was still talking about it and I, and, and I was starting to see the benefits of, of talking about it. Yeah, and after volunteering for a year, and I, I applied to a role and then I sort of moved within the organization. Uh, And and by moving within the organization, I started meeting more and more people living with HIV who were who were living openly with their HIV, mm. and it was just very inspiring, you know. And it was just very just seeing their openness and and how free they were and how light it all felt when they talked about it. I was like, wow, I want to feel like that. I want mm -hmm. to be like that. And Yeah, and it was particular. I, re I remember meeting a lot of women and women talking openly about their HIV, and I was like, "This is amazing!" I, 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 I yeah. And then it, there was a lot of reflection of what's stopping me. What is it that mm. is not letting me take that step, that that step, and be more open about my whole my whole situation and my journey? And yeah, and then slowly it started to happen. I guess organically, it's hard to tell when it was, and it's hard <laughs> to tell. But then yeah, there were projects in the charity and campaigns, and we're doing this campaign if anyone living with HIV want to talk about it and I was like mm, okay I'll, I I can and yeah and it slowly happened and now I see my face in more and more places and my <laughs> voice in more and more places which wasn't what I was planning and and which still it, it still can be difficult and uh, yeah so I don't know I think I I just didn't know I wanted and now once I've done it once I've have that feeling of oof, that freedomness and that mm. lightness of having talked about it and not giving a shit and and I think it was partly that at some point I realized that no matter what I do or what I don't do people are still gonna have a say mm. in my life or, or are gonna think that they're entitled to have a say mm -hmm. so I'm just not gonna give a shit about them I'm just gonna do what I need to do and and and, and get on with my life in the best possible way and I realized That, that talking and learning about HIV was just life-changing for me. You know, mm. it just gave me so many things. And, and yeah, so much confidence and so much self-worth and a lot of the things that I've lost throughout the whole journey. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I did that. And I think through that process, you start seeing a lot of sort of angles to talking about HIV and talking about dealing with HIV. So, so then it become talking about access to medications in other parts of the world. And it become about like barriers that migrants face in the UK to mm -hmm. access services. And then it become about mental health of people living with HIV. 
and then it become all like underrepresentation of of migrants and trans and black and brown people and women, especially women in HIV research. Mm. So yeah, it has grown onto onto moving me into a lot of other areas of work that I've that I've just never thought they were possible. And and yeah, and it just made me very passionate. Like I've I've never seen myself as an activist, but I guess now that's like the easiest way. Now that I don't work in the sector because I moved to do something else. Uh, yeah, the best way to refer to myself is uh, like, yeah, I've been, a, well, yeah, I do HIV activism from time to time and and I live openly with HIV and that's a way of activism mm. where you have opportunities or platforms like this to talk about it or where you don't just, just I think talking, talking op- living openly with HIV is such a revolutionary act mm. that, that, that that's just a, a massive way of doing activism where you have a platform or not. So, mm. yeah. That progression from like... <clears throat> as you described, being so low and then going through this whole journey and landing in a place where you're able to talk empoweredly about it. I don't know if that's the right word. Empoweredly. <laughs> empoweredly. <laughs> in an empowered way about yeah. your experiences. It's just incredible that you've done that. To kind of finish us off, how what would advice would you give to someone who is at that starting phase and not really sure where to go with um, the mental health route? Mm. Interesting. I mean, the first thing is I wouldn't want to tell anyone to not feel the way they're feeling. So feel the way you're feeling, mm-hmm. feel like shit, feel angry, feel annoyed, feel disappointed, feel all these things. Yeah, just allowing yourself to feel that way can can or cannot. So, so be very conscious of that, help you move forward. But, but I think first, yeah, embrace those feelings and, and slowly deal with them trust sort of your your gut feeling and and your intuition with like there's always this thing or at least within most of us that tells you it it is gonna be okay things are gonna be okay so trust that and then take take steps that you think might help you with your own well-being Mm -hmm. and and take them as 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 quick or as low as you need to so pace them accordingly to your needs and to your possibilities Uh, Find someone that you can talk about it, even if it's just one person, but find someone that you can talk about it because that will make a massive difference. Hopefully and ideally find someone who lives with HIV that you can talk about it uh, because that will change your life just seeing someone else's perspective. Mm. Uh, yeah, and, and sort of slowly learn to recognize that, like, yeah, embrace the fact that it is going to be a journey, that it is going to have ups, ups and downs. Uh, and and I think learn to, to recognize the signs on yourself, the signs of things getting better or the signs of things getting worse. And sort of, yeah, understand them and harness them and just just grip, grip them and, and find your way through them. And then, yeah, become a really good navigator of the system because it isn't easy. Services aren't just going to come to you mm. knocking to your door. You have to go knocking yourself. So, so yeah. Thanks again to Callum and Jose for this episode. Um, you've really brought some really interesting perspectives and insight into um, the lived experience of people with HIV. So um, we're really, really grateful for that. 
and that brings us to the end of part one mm -hmm. of this episode mm -hmm. um join us for part two where we speak with andre from positive east and hopefully a few special voice notes from the red run that they host mm -hmm. We say hopefully because we're recording this on a Friday and it's on the Saturday. So. <laughs> All manner of things could go wrong. <laughs> but here's hoping. So thanks. Head over to part two of this episode right now. Ideally, <laughs> you know, you can listen to All In One. And get, your, get your fix straight yeah. away or, you know, listen to it whenever. But... And we'll also be having our positive thing of the week over on that episode. Mm -hmm. so. Which I know you're gagging you're for. Gagging so for you it. simply have to keep listening. <laughs> okay. We'll see you see you in a bit. You're doing amazing, sweetie. Bye for now. Mwah. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.